I wanted you to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 96. Psalm 96. We're going to be in the book of Psalms today in three different Psalms talking about catching the vision. There are a lot of ways that people raise money and churches raise money. I served a church where uh, we got an empty warehouse and basically everybody brought the stuff they didn't want and we tried to sell it and we ended up with about three dumpsters worth of stuff that we just had to throw away because nobody came to buy it. And then you do car washes and you do bake sales and you do all these things. Let me tell you why churches, even ours, have resorted to that kind of thinking. We've resorted to that kind of thinking because we want people to feel sorry for us that we need money to do mission trips and go on things. And we've resorted to it because we're not obedient to give as God's told us to give, or we'd never have to do that. That's not, there's nowhere in the Bible that says have a bake sale. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says have a car wash. It says bring your tithes to the storehouse and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven. I mean, God's got a pretty clear plan. And it's not a poster board with some really sloppy writing on it trying to guilt people into pulling in and doing something. The best story of this was with Ron Dunn. Uh, Ron was a pastor, and they were uh, trying to raise some money, I think, for their kids to go on a choir tour. And so uh, somebody came up with a great idea of having a pancake sale. And uh, we've had those at Sherwood. And I'm praying for the day that we stop doing worldly ways of trying to get God's people to do the right thing. That's one of my prayers and my hopes. And so they had a pancake sale. They got all the deacons to go to a Whataburger, which was next door to the church, and they got the aprons, the Whataburger aprons. And they pinned a sign on the front of the apron that said, what a pancake. They had the tall chef hats. Then they had kids all out on the parking lot, as the story goes, People went to eat pancakes, not because they wanted to eat pancakes, because they felt like they ought to support the young people and we ought to do it for Jesus. So they showed up and they ate the pancakes. And, you know, deacons cooking pancakes and kids cooking pancakes, sometimes a frightening thing if you want to really be honest with this. And so they, they sold pancakes and they did all this work. And Ron said, I pulled up about halfway through it and I said, here I saw these men full of faith, wisdom, and the Holy Spirit with signs on them that said, what a pancake. And I said, this will never happen in this church again. And it didn't. They raised about $2,000. The next day, a young lady in the church called the office and asked Ron if he would come to her house. Her house was a single-wide trailer, and uh, Ron went to it, and she had inherited her mother's estate, which amounted to a total of $20,000. And she said, I've been praying about for a week what I need to do with this. Pastor, what do you think I need to do? And she said, you tell me. And, and he said, well, you know, you ought to tithe off that. You ought to give at least 10% off of that. And she said, what's a tithe? She was a new member. And she said, what's a tithe? So he said, I kind of felt bad. I explained it to her. And she said, okay, well, then that's what we'll do. We've been asking God what to do, and that's what we'll do. And Ron said at the end of the day, at the end of the day, she gave more than they did with standing out on the street with dumb outfits on, 
trying to convince people to stop their cars and pull in and buy a pancake. Listen, folks, God's work done God's way doesn't lack God's resources. But when we try to orchestrate something or plan something and say, well, we got three different ways we're going to do this, then God says, fine, you go raise your own money. Don't ask me to lay it on the heart of anybody. Don't ask me to let anybody give by revelation. If you want to be in control of it, then you be in control of it. It is time for God's people to stop telling God, here's the boundaries in which we will work. And it's time for God's people to say, we will give by revelation. And revelation giving is always an answer to prayer, and it has with it the peace of God. Now, there's some truths here that we need to see. See, some of you are so uptight right now. I mean, you are so uptight. I hate January because I have to preach on money. And the reason I hate it is for three weeks, nobody will laugh, nobody will smile, and I feel like I'm preaching to a funeral. (laughs) Which tells me you need to lighten up a little bit. Okay? Laugh. It may make somebody think you're a giver. (laughs) So lighten up and learn. Don't, Don't do this. There he is, he's asking for my money. There he is, he's asking for my money. I'm not going to listen to asking for my money. Don't do that, because you miss something God wants to do in your life. By the way, it's not your money anyway. God's given you the ability to earn it. God's given you the ability to have a paycheck. God's given you the ability to work, and he could take that away in a minute. But he's given it to us, because God is a giver God so loved that he, well, uh, 12 of you know that. God so loved that he, so if he's a giver and he's our God, then we ought to be givers who worship him. So there's some truths here that we need to see. You can think your way into different actions, but the other side of that is you can act your way into different thinking. You can choose to do something even when you don't know how it's going to work. You can think your way into different actions or you can act your way into different thinking. You see, our, our finances are a barometer of our heart. Now, the first psalm that we're going to look at is Psalm 96 and verse 1. The giving and worship go together. I want you to look at this. Sing to the Lord a new song. There's some people right now saying that shouldn't be in the Bible. shouldn't be any new songs in the Bible. We all just sing the songs we used to sing. Well, if we're going to do that, we ought to find a tune that goes with Psalm 96 because that was a song. We don't know what the tune was. We do know the words. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Now, right there, you've got worship and witness together in two verses. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, for he is to be feared above all gods. So if we're going to tell of it to the nations, that's why we give to missions. That's why we're planting churches. That's why we're going into these cities. Now, 17 different strategic locations in the cities around America to plant churches so that the gospel gospel can be heard where it has been evacuated 
because of white flight and crime and poverty and everything else. These guys are going into the hearts of cities and reclaiming the cities because as a city goes, so goes a nation. So we've got to reclaim them. That's why we have those plants. Splendor and majesty are before him. Ascribe, you're going to see this three times, to the Lord, O families of peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. How do we ascribe glory to the God? Which, when we take an offering, when we give of our resources and of ourselves. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the people with equity. Now see, true feel giving goes beyond your feelings. But when you love something, you give. I mean, just try this. Try Valentine's Day, just right around the corner. Try Valentine's Day and don't buy a card and don't give a gift and walk in the door and say to your wife, what'd you fix me for supper? I hope you've got a hammock in your backyard because that's where you're going to be sleeping for about a month. Why do you give gifts? Why do you go and look through all these cards and find a card and guys, as we're looking for a card for Valentine's Day, we're praying, Lord, did I buy this same card last year? Because we don't remember, but they do. Go to a different store <laughs> if they've got the same card. Figure it out. You buy cards, you get a gift, you say, hey, let's go out to eat tonight. Whatever you do, you do it because of love. You don't do it because it's on somebody's calendar and Hallmark said buy a card. You do it as an expression of your love. You do it on an anniversary gift. You do it with a birthday gift. You do it with a Christmas gift. When your kids give you a list of what they want for Christmas that could take up three rolls of paper towels to write them all down, you can't do all of that, but you do what you can and you give generously, not because you're trying to beat the family next door, but because you love your kids and you love the look on their face when they see what you gave them. I mean, nothing can take the place of that. I mean, I, we, we were going through some pictures this week and I found a, I found a picture of Erin. She's got this little red flannel outfit on at Christmas and we gave her an Ernie and Bert. And she's got one under each arm. Ernie and Bert are being choked to death, you know, by an 18-month-old. But she's got this Ernie and Bert under her arms. And it's a reminder, every time I see that picture, it takes me back to a moment of pure joy. Watching my daughter enjoy a gift that I gave her. You know what? We ought to wake up with joy. That God has given us the gift of life. He's given us the ability to make a living. He's given us a great church to be a part of. He's given us great opportunities to do things that many people never get an opportunity to do. The second truth is in Psalm 116. Psalm 116. And that is that we are debtors. Verse 5, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. The Lord preserves the simple. Boy, that's me. That's me. 
I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Now let me just tell you right there in verse 7. Nobody's ever going to stand before God when they meet him face to face and say, God, you owe me. Nobody, nobody will ever stand before God and say, God, you owe me. God has dealt with us bountifully. Or as Andre Crouch used to say, if heaven was never promised to me, it's been worth just having the Lord in my life. Amen? I mean, it's just worth it having him in our lives. I don't know how people go through life without Jesus to depend on and to lean on. And if you don't know Jesus, you need to know him because I promise you, it's the best thing you'll ever do with your life is to give your heart to Jesus. For you have rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. Verse 12, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. God has been good. God has been gracious to David. He's delivered him from Saul. He's delivered him from debt. And he has this great, uh, debt of gratitude that he is offering in this psalm two things. First of all, a testimony. He's giving a testimony before all the people. He is testifying of God's goodness in his life. He is praising God. Now, if you remember when David came into the, and brought the ark into the city of David, he was dancing before the Lord and he was married to Saul's daughter, Michael. I don't know why she had that name. I wish she had a different name. But, and she started rebuking him. And she said, yeah, the king just made an idiot out of himself dancing before the Lord, bringing the ark of the covenant in. And in the cat paraphrase of that chapter, David says to his wife, B -b baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> and you know what happened to her? God closed her womb and she was barren until the day she died. Let me tell you something, folks. God notices the people that rejoice and give, and God takes note of the people that are sour and don't. David rejoiced at God's deliverance with a testimony and with an offering. I mean, he gave to help build the temple, which he would never see built. But he gave to make that happen. Listen, here's what we need to understand. The promises made to God in times of trial should be kept in times of blessing. You ever met a Christian who said, Oh, if the Lord will get me out of this, if the Lord will get my kid back in right relationship with him, if the Lord will take care of my health, Help that the Lord will do this, that the Lord will meet this big need in my life, that the Lord will answer this prayer. I'll never complain again. We make a lot of promises to God that we don't keep. Ecclesiastes says you should be careful to make a vow to God. It's like the guy who was on the airplane. And they were going through some turbulence. I mean, I was on an airplane a few years ago with a friend of mine, Keith Moore, and, and we were flying out of Houston, and a tropical storm was moving in. They're trying to get as many planes out as they could. And I mean, we are bouncing, and we are dropping, and we are bouncing, and we are dropping. We're all over the place. 
Uh, everybody on that plane is white-knuckled. Uh, there are people grabbing for the little bag in the front that they never look for under normal circumstances. And, and I mean, you can hear people on the plane, Oh, God, help me. God, Lord, get me out of this. Lord, get me out of this. You know what? He got us through that, and they all started ordering drinks. like the guy that was on the plane and said Lord if you get me out of this storm and you get me safely on the ground I'll serve you for the rest of my life he got on the ground the guy sitting next to him said hey I heard that promise you made to God he said I'll serve him but the way I'm going to serve him is I'm never getting on another airplane that's all I'm going to do he got me on the ground I'm here that's all I'm going to do we make promises to God sometimes in times of trial that we forget when God blesses us look at the testifying of tithes and offerings verse uh, Psalm 122 you got worship and witness together again Psalm 122 I was glad when they said to me it's not raining on a Sunday let's go to the house of the Lord have you noticed it always seems to rain on Saturday, when people say, well, it's raining on Saturday, we, we probably can't go. I was glad when they said to me, it wasn't time change Sunday, so let's go to the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said to me, it's Easter, we ought to go to the house of the Lord. It's Christmas, we ought to go to the house of the Lord. No, the psalmist just said, I was glad when I got the opportunity to go to the house of the Lord. Listen, folks, this is the best day of my week and not because I preach. And these are the best hours of my day, whether I'm preaching or not. I love to be in the house of the Lord. I love to be around God's people because I draw energy and hope and strength from it because I see other people, all of us fellow strugglers, none of us have it all together. None of it have it as together as we try to pretend we do. And yet we come together for one purpose, our God is worthy of worship. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Now, our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem that is built as a city that is compact together to which the tribes go up, even to the tribes of the Lord. By the way, you always go up to Jerusalem. That's why the Psalms of Ascent are in the Bible. Every road going to Jerusalem is a road going up. An ordinance of Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord, for their thrones were set for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. They're to remember Jerusalem. Now, this prayer is twofold regarding Jerusalem. We are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and we're to pray for the prosperity of Jerusalem. For the peace of Jerusalem, and for the prosperity of Jerusalem. I know I've contributed to the prosperity of Jerusalem because every time I go into the Nissan Brothers olive wood shop, I seem to walk out with something that's made out of olive wood. And so I've contributed. I've left some of my money there. Some of my widow's mites have been there. But I pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and I pray for the peace and prosperity of Jerusalem. Why? This is where God in the Old Testament dwelt. God's not through with the Jews still has a plan for them and they built a temple and this temple was not big it was only like 90 feet by 30 feet 
but it was ornate in its decorations. And in there was the Ark of the Covenant, and God dwelt within the wings of the cherubim. And in the Holy of Holies, the high priest would go in to give sacrifice for the sins of the people. When David raised the money and the materials to build the temple, he built the best that he could. Why? Because it was the one true God. And if you're going to worship the one true God, some Taj Mahal somewhere else shouldn't outshine the house of God. Some Mormon tabernacle shouldn't outshine the house of God. If we really believe, then we invest to show the world what we believe. Nelson Price taught me a long time ago, what you do with your buildings says what you believe about God. Because the lost world is looking to see if your God matters to you. I love this quote by John Simpson. John Simpson said, An unkept, rundown, struggling church is a disgrace to any community and a dishonor to God. May peace be within your walls, verse 7, and prosperity within your palaces. Here's the deal. The people of God should set the pace in their community for sacrificial praise and giving. They should model by what they build and by what they do that God deserves the best. I mean, we should model that, that our God deserves the best that we can do. We may not be the best of everything, but the best that we can do, our best, not our second best, not our leftovers. But, but here's what happens in churches and you know, all these years I've preached in churches all across America. I've done pastors' conferences. We've done 30-plus refresh conferences. And here's where the rubber meets the road. It's the next quote. Too often we want the church to give us a prime rib ministry on a hot dog budget. We want full service. We want everything for our children, nothing but the best for our kids, nothing but the best for our young people, nothing but the best for our senior adults. We want, we want the best for everybody, but we don't want to contribute to make it the best. We want it on a hot dog budget. And you can't eat prime rib on a hot dog budget. So, as I said to the earlier crowd, some of them are still trying to figure out what I said. Put that in your hot dog bun and chew on it for a while. <laughs> Don't say, I'm glad to be a part of a church that has incredible youth facilities and a kids rock area for children and we have buses that can take, road buses that can take our kids places, a sports park, 80 plus acres, a school, a hope center where everybody in this community gathered to go out to do work of recovery and then watch the plate go by week after week after week and in tithes and offerings and then meet the need, you do little or nothing. Because we can't continue to do or accelerate what we're doing if we don't accelerate the involvement in what we're doing. So, let's look at the last thing, the testimony of personal example. David wasn't cheap. Remember in 1 Chronicles 21, David was told by God to build an altar to Jehovah on the threshing floor of Oran, the Jebusite. And so he went, and he met with him. And Ornan said, I'll just give you this. I'll just give it to you. You can have it. If it's for the Lord, I'll just give it to you. 
And David said, I will not offer to the Lord that which cost me nothing. And David paid him full market price for the land. Full market price because he wasn't going to be cheap. Now, how is your personal example a positive witness? Number one, a sacrifice must cost you something. It's not a sacrifice if it doesn't cost you anything. If it doesn't require an adjustment on my part or your part, then it's not a sacrifice. It's, it's not over and above. It's reasonable giving, not revelation giving. A sacrifice causes me to change my priorities or delay some things that I may want or not buy some things that I would really like to buy, but it's a sacrifice. Secondly, what you can spare or figure out is not a faith offering. What you can spare or figure out is not a faith offering. A faith offering is a prayed-over gift where God gives you an amount and it specifically ties to that requires faith on my part and that's going to require sacrifice on my part if I'm going to be able to do that. And then I'm going to have to trust God to make it happen. I make my adjustments, but I'm trusting God to make it happen. And he does things in ways that I can't explain. Why have we built all this? Why should we expedite the paying down of our debt, which we have done? We're knocking off significant amount of time on this every year because we're meeting our pledges. We can't do that if you don't do what you're doing. Why should we do that? Why should we support church planting and free up monies as soon as possible for additional mission opportunities? Let me give you several reasons. We built for at least 50 years. Our old buildings lasted us about 50 years. The original worship center, which became the Fellowship Hall, used to sit right where the atrium is now. So when you walk out there in the early days, the founding days of this church, people sat in a room that sat about 250 or 300 people, and they worshiped God. We tore that building down. It had fulfilled its usefulness. Our next worship center was what is now the Fellowship Hall. We filled that, and we filled that, and we were crammed. We had no place to fellowship. If you wanted to fellowship with somebody, you had to turn around in your seat and talk to the person sitting right behind you because there was no atrium. All there was, you empty out it into a hallway. And we were like sardines. So we built for the next 50 years. By the grace of God, and if we are good stewards, these facilities will last long after, decades after, many of us are gone and in glory. It's time to tear down some old and to build some new. Secondly, we built for generations to come. We built for generations to come. David never saw the temple. Well, he did. In the presence of the Lord, he saw it. But he prepared for it. We built for generations to come. Every time a couple walks into this church or a single mom walks into this church with a baby or a child or a young person, we built for them. As Steve Williams used to say, you know, somebody paid for a parking space before I ever parked my car here. Somebody paid for a seat before I ever sat down in a seat in this church. Somebody made a way for me. We built for generations to come. Thirdly, David wanted a temple that would make the world stand up and take notice of his God. David did not build a monument to himself, which all kings do, go to Egypt. David didn't build a monument to himself. He didn't build a building called King David's Church. 
is the temple to Jehovah God. He didn't talk about himself. He wanted to make sure that there was a place for God to be honored and for God to dwell in those days. David personally sacrificed. First Chronicles 22 and 29, we see the evidence of his giving. He says, because I have set my affection on the house of my God. He led by example. He challenged those who were blessed financially, the leaders, and then he challenged all the people as a whole, and they all offered willingly. Now, in your notes, there's uh, 1 Chronicles 29. I want you to take that. If you're a young person or single and you're the leader of a one-person home that comes to this church or you're a mom that comes without a dad or a divorcee or a dad, I want you to take this chapter. I printed it out for you because Chronicles is easy to miss. I want you to read it and pray over it this week and ask God, could God put my name on that page? Could God say about me that that is what is true about me? That we have given freely and wholeheartedly. Verse 12, wealth and honor come from you. Verse 14, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. Verse 16, as for all this abundance that we have provided for the building, you a temple for your holy name. It comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. David said, it's only because of you that we're doing this. It is for your name, for your temple, for your dwelling place that we're doing this. Nothing is too good for our God. Now, I want to ask you to stand, and I want you to read an affirmation with me, an affirmation that I hope will be recorded, that I hope will be said of us 10 years, 20 years, 50 years from now if the Lord tarries. These are words that we should want to be a part of fulfilling so that one day, in 2050 or 2060 or on the 100th anniversary of this church, they will look back and thank God that there were people that came before them that made a difference and provided a place for them to come and to bring their kids and to worship. Let's read it together. Generations from now, may those who stand here fill these seats and bring their children say of us, they provided these ministries for the glory of God. They had integrity. They gave willingly. They never wavered. Their hearts were loyal. We are blessed today because they obeyed the living God. Amen? Amen. Amen.